All right, so uh, this will be my second time ever using this board. So, all right. How many were here? I'm going to continue, actually, before I say that, I'm going to continue on our, um, you know, the main vision of our church. A number of weeks ago, I felt like the Lord told me to go back and begin to highlight what we're doing here and why we're doing it. Um, he wanted to clear our vision. Without a vision, the people perish. I want to know, the people that call this their home church, I want us to know what we're going after and why we're going after it. I believe that our vision is something that every church should be going after. It's my opinion. I think it's very biblical, uh, and I think it's the way to success. However, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to put that off on anybody else, but I just I think it is now. For those of you who have been a part and know the three pillars of our church, the three visions that we have for our church, what's number one? After God's presence. Wait a minute. I can never spell. Godly. Anybody? These are... Who has the tissues? Somebody has the tissue box somewhere. There we go. <laughs> All right, so the number one is presence. For those of you who don't haven't have missed these messages, our number one thing that we're going after here is a place where God's presence comes. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up. There is nothing like the manifest presence of God. If you've not experienced it, He wants you to. Bible talks about um, in, in, in the book of Acts when, he was, when Peter was preaching and he was saying that he was talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said there would become this gift, the, the gift, Peter uses the word gift, for you and for your children, he says, you'll find refreshing in the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is something that we can, not, that we can tangibly feel. We can experience it. We want it. There's nothing like it. In thy presence of fullness of joy and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm not preaching this message. I'm just kind of giving you a recap. We want to be, we don't want to be like, Sunday morning as usual. We don't want business as usual. If you come here and you find our church different, it is. And I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to apologize for it. I want to try to have a group of believers that are so passionate for God and His presence that we would pursue it, number one, and there would be nothing else more valuable to us than his presence, that we would make this a place that God actually feels welcome. Most churches try to do things to make people feel welcome. And I, there's nothing wrong with people wanting people to feel welcome. We want that. But not at the expense of not giving God what he wants. Does that, does that make sense? Paul said, if I were still seeking to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Our goal is not to please people, it's to please God. Everybody with me? I said it before, a lot of y'all weren't here, but I said it when we started off. Jesus stands at the door and knock to anyone who hears and opens, he will come in and dine with us. We want the Lord to come in and dine with us when we meet. 
doing that, you're going to have services sometimes that are dry, like anything, but we're not going to stop. We've had some amazing services here, but we haven't touched what's coming. I've been restudying the Welsh Revival. How many are familiar with the Welsh Revival? If I remember correctly, it was the right at the turn of the century from the 1800s to the 1900s, right? Yeah. Because it was because it, it was right around, it was right at the, it was right entering into the night. It started stirrings started happening, but within I think 1902 or 1903, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. Um, the the Welsh revival swept all of uh, the Welsh country. You know the part of the you know the part of the UK. Uh, Wells, thank you. So, um, in Wales, there were there were a number of things that were the priority of their of their country. Number one was what they called football, which us Americans would call soccer. That was like the big deal. Pubs and drinking, uh, gambling, and prostitution. That was the, the favorite pastimes of Wells. This revival comes, and the whole revival is based on people not doing church as normal and deciding they got to have God's presence, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to get God's presence. That's a, a quick overview. Sometimes they would sit in meetings and just wait for two hours before the preacher would get up to speak because they were waiting on God, literally. But God did a move in Wells that by the time, it was only a, a few years that this thing went on, but by the time this revival had swept through, there had been so many people born again that their whole police force had to start choirs because they didn't have anything else to do because there was no crime, zero crime. Can you imagine a move of God that would take place so heavily in Wilmington that the police force have to get other jobs and start figuring out other things to do because crimes dealt with, because men's heart were broken by the presence of the Lord. Scripture says to humble yourself in the presence of the Lord. When you get in his presence, there's a humility that comes. In his presence, I, t I told my dad this the other day. I said, in God's presence, I'm who I really want to be. Now, if you've never been in his manifest presence, you can be a Christian and never, I guess you can be a Christian and never experience his manifest presence. I've, I don't know because I've experienced his manifest presence. But if you've experienced his manifest presence, there's a breaking of everything that needs to break and a healing of everything that needs to heal in that place, in his presence. I want to live there. And when his presence came in this Welsh revival, it swept the whole country. People started just gripped with repentance just for their sins. They started getting right. People started having visions of heaven, visions of hell. They started having encounters, repenting. The whole, I mean, the whole, the whole nation was swept up. The, all the newspaper articles were about the revival. It was amazing. I think there's something bigger coming. I know there's something bigger coming, and I'm willing to state on the record God's about to do something that's going to blow our minds. They're going to blow our minds. 
And I believe that it's the church's responsibility to do these three things, to not only help bring in this revival, but to keep the revival going. Every revival died out because they did not stick to the basics. They got flesh in there, selfish ambition, pride, jealousy, things that hinder the spirit, and the spirit it just died out. And you can look through church history at all the major revivals that happened and how they, they ended. I believe there's a combining of the Welsh revival and the revival of the power of the 50s that was released that God's bring, about to bring. So the key to this is seeking his presence first and seeking his desire. I was saying back there today, what would happen if all of God's people were consumed with seeking what the Father's desire is? What if we woke up every day and the main thing on our, on our bucket list for the day, our to-do list, what will bring the Father joy today? What's on his heart? What if Christians lived like that? I mean, I, I remember Scripture, Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The key to life is seeking him, his desire, the things that please him, his seeing his righteousness established, not my righteousness, his righteousness. And everything would be added unto us that we need. See, people run around and they're trying to grab their things, their needs, going to, I got to go to work today. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got all this to do. I got bills to pay. I got this. I get that. There's a kingdom reality that when you begin to walk in the kingdom's plan, which is seek first God's desire, God's plan then God releases his kingdom into your life in a way that it doesn't work like this in the world. When you seek God's will, provision finds you. I do not work for provision, by the way. I will never work for provision. That's the world's way. Now, I'm not going to be lazy. If you're being lazy, that's not a fruit of the Spirit. But I, I need to be busy, as all of us do, doing the Father's will his desire. What is that? For many of us, it may be going to this job that he's got you working on. That's okay. That's a mission field. But do it because that's the will of the Lord for your life, not because it's a means to an end for you to get your needs met. It's a different way of thinking. I'm not going to work to provide for myself. I'm going to work to fulfill the Father's vision and desire to reach this community that he's called me to, to work in or to be a part of. And I'm trusting him to provide for me. Does that make sense? We want to become people that seek his presence and seek his desire. All right. Number two, as a church, I think most churches, many churches have gotten better at this, but I still think we're failing miserably at this. I've done whole sermons on this, don't whole sermons on this, and then I'm going to get to this. But what's the next one? Equipping the saints. It's just a little bit of review. Ephesians 4 tells us that God's given us some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Right? Let's read that real quick. Ephesians 4, 11. 
just a quick review. All right. And he's given some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Until, everybody say until. We all, say all, attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. All right? I've heard people say that there's, there's some who believe that these uh, five-fold ministries have passed away. Well, that can't be true if this verse is true. He's given some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain. That's all of us. Every single part of the body attains to the unity of the faith. Not sure we're there yet. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. We're growing in that. To a mature man. What is this mature man? To the measure... Okay, you're measuring something. What are we measuring? The measuring of the stature. How big is the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ? How big is Christ's stature? He left some big shoes to fill, right? But according to this scripture, he's given us these fivefold ministries for the equipping of the saints until we all attain to this stature. And so if that's not happened, and I'm looking around at the church in America, much less the church in the world, we're not there. And so obviously we still have these, these uh, five-fold offices. And the job of the five-fold office is to equip who? The saints. Ministry is not for the one guy who leads a church. That is bad, bad, bad. Everybody say bad. It's bad for your pastor, and it's bad for your congregation. I mean, Moses was about to get worn out, and his father-in-law Jethro came to him and told him, say, look, you're going to kill yourself. I'm paraphrasing. This is the Travis version. Uh, you're going to kill yourself if you're trying to take care of these millions of people. You need to raise up leaders to lead the people. And he, and he had a slew of leaders, elders that were ordained. And the Spirit of God came on them, and the Spirit that was upon Moses came upon them. This was under the Old Testament. When you look at the New Testament in Jerusalem, there was a council. You know who seemed to be the head of it? James, the brother of Jesus. Now, you can argue that, because he kind of had the last word when Paul wrote to the, the believers in Jerusalem and asked about the circumcision and what Gentiles are supposed to do. But there was a council going on. And it is not healthy to have a one-man show because the body, you're not going to, you're not, if you're not functioning in what you're called to do, there's going to be a dissatisfaction in your life. You're going to be unsatisfied. And you're going to feel that with something else. There's an amazing exhilaration that happens. You know, after Jesus ministered to the woman at the well, and the disciples said, here, Lord, eat something. He says, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. You're malnutrished if you're not doing the will of him who sent you. 
And so, unfortunately, our churches are set up where the, the, you might have one or two people or three people who get up and do stuff, but they haven't equipped their people to hear from God, to heal the sick, to cast out devils, to preach the gospel. They, they haven't taught them the basics of the Word of God and, uh, and released them to do it. Well, we don't want to do that here. We, we can't do that here. And I've did a whole message on this. This is not my message, but equipping the saints. That has got to be a priority of any ministry. It's a priority from God. You see it in Ephesians 4.11. The third one, what is it? Community, I would put the word family. But yes, community is correct. We want to be a family. And that's what I want to talk to you today. Everybody gets it, right? A dad, a mom, three little babies, family. All right. You know, family is the oldest uh, social structure in the world. It started with Adam and Eve and them having kids. And family really is at the center of what God is doing in his creation. It is my opinion from reading the Word and studying all my adult life, the Scriptures, that God's heart is to have a family. It is His ultimate desire to have someone that He can share creation with. This is the testing ground. This is training for reigning. There's an age coming after this for everyone who overcomes we're going to rule and reign with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever with wonders. You know, Scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it even entered the heart of men all the things that God has prepared for those that love him. We cannot comprehend what's coming in the age to come. And we're closer to that than you may realize. The Lord has, is doing all of this down here. This is preparatory. This is a preparation for an amazing thing that has been in God's heart before he even created Adam and Eve. Before he even made them, eternity was already in his heart, this age to come. And it's going to be wonderful. And he wants to share it with us. He doesn't want to be alone in it. He wants, so he made man in his own image in his own likeness, and he gave him authority over his creation. And he told him to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, create families. And I believe that's really the heart of God. You see that in the garden. Um, John 1, 12 through 13, but to all who did receive him, this is talking about Jesus coming to his own, but his own did not receive him. But then it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, or of the will of God. It was God's will for people to receive his son and be born again into a family anew. You know, Jesus is, uh, you know, he, he's, he's the firstborn among many brethren, we're called to be a family. Now, why is that important? A lot of churches, and I'm not picking on the churches because, I mean, God's transforming all of us, and we, we certainly haven't arrived. 
but I want to keep going for it. You know, what, I want to do like Paul and, you know, forget what lies behind, but press on towards the mark. Um, we're not, we haven't arrived, but I want to keep looking forward. It is imperative that any church really becomes a family. Now, every, I want everybody to turn and look at the people around you. Okay? Look at those faces. Oh, man. <laughs> you see him? That's going to be somebody you have to stare at the rest of eternity. <laughs> now, some of us, we got a lot to look forward to. Others. <laughs> now, don't worry. I'm not going to call you out, Paul. So many, so many churches, they lose the fact that they're called to be a family and it becomes an organization or a social club or worse yet, a check the box so I can feel good during the week. If that's why you're coming to church so you can check the box and appease your conscience so you can go and do the things you really want to do, you're missing it so bad. God, you're missing it. God wants us to actually love the people beside us. Family is supposed to equal love. Now, I, granted, we're all broken. We, we all come from broken ha homes because there's broken people. Hurt people, hurt people, messed up people, mess up people. And, uh, you know, and God's breaking the cycle. The cross is what broke the cycle. And when we apply the cross to our own lives, we get healed and we stop hurting other people. We stop wounding other people because we're no longer wounded. To the degree that you're healed is the degree that you're going to be a healer. And uh, we're called to heal the hurts of other people and set them free. So family is supposed to equal love. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Church is going to challenge that, and it was meant to. You know, Jesus left this final commandment. What did he say? What was the final commandment before Jesus walked out of here? Right before he goes to the cross, well, maybe not the final because he did resurrect and left them stuff, but right before he went to the cross, he told him, we're talking about love, Ray Lee. <laughs> love one another. Love one another. Now, anytime there's a commandment in Scripture, that means that what they're telling us to do is not going to be easy. He doesn't say, I want every one of you to make sure you keep breathing. Well, yeah, so breathing's, breathing's automatic. It's natural. You don't, no one tells you to keep breathing because you're going to automatically do that. If God tells you to do something, he's telling you something that's not going to come automatic. It's not natural. Church is meant to be a place where we learn to love. Yes, you have to learn to love. Love is a decision that you choose to do. That person just said something very offensive to me. 
I get to choose right now. What am I going to do? How do I respond to that? Do I say, Father, forgive them? They know not what they do. Or do I say, Father, forgive me because you don't know what I'm about to do? <laughs> when the flesh rises up, you know, that, that's not love. And church is meant to train us. This is training for reigning. And when we can learn to live together in love, then we know the Spirit has finally had its work in our life. If you're not learning to love, you're failing. Because that's the thing that Jesus came and told us to do. And church is where you learn. You know, there's lots of things they say in Scripture. Submit to your leaders. That's not natural. You know, there's all kinds of commandments in the Scriptures that aren't natural. You have to actually fight against the natural tendencies to reject the thing that goes against the command. Right? Submit one to another. Well, I don't like that. I don't want to submit you. Working as a team is not easy. Y'all know that? You know that? <laughs> Actually, it is pr it's fairly easy with you guys. I, I, I'm going to just brag on my team for a minute. Uh, Josh and Lonnie and uh, Paul, even Paul. Uh, when I took over the pastorship, um, you know, they, with any change, there's fear that rises up, I'm sure, where you're like, um, what, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. And so there's, uh, there's, you know, you don't know. You don't, and they didn't really, really, really know me. Um, but these guys, my goodness, we came together and we began to pray and seek the presence of God together and begin to love one another. And I've been in church my whole life almost. And I've been in church leadership to some degree or another my whole adult life. And I have never had what I've had here in the just the having each other's back, pursuing God, and it doesn't matter who gets the credit or the glory because the one that we want to get the credit and the glory is him and him alone anyway. And uh, I had a dream years and years ago where I saw this Superman figure fly up and he had, I mean, he had incredible power. And uh, I remember there being a mask on his face and I heard a voice that said, this power will be available when my people no longer care who gets the credit. A maskless people. When we're just seeking his glory and his glory alone. There's a power of the age to come that God wants to release to his people. But he's going to, he has to baby proof his house right now to a degree. Because everybody that begins to walk in that kind of power, they ended up hurting people. Because there was, they didn't learn, they hadn't matured in love yet. And um, we have got to, as a family, grow up into love. I just want to read a few things talking about this. Um, love is the, um, the essence, I guess, or the center post of what true family is supposed to be about. And, but you don't get that without having to choose it and fight for it. I've been married a long time, 
27 years, 32 years together. It's my beautiful wife, Lindsay. We fought a lot, haven't we? <laughs> There's been some knockdown, drag out. Dra dra was it knockdown, drag out? Drag outs, yeah. We've had some. Um, we've had some rough patches. But you know, every time we've worked through it and we stick around, there comes a, the other side of the fight or the other side of whatever we're going through that there's, there's such a love and appreciation that you gain for just sticking it out. You know, you stick it out, and it, I, I, there's numerous moments where you're like, in the fight, you're like, oh, God, what is this? Lord, why are you giving me this woman like this? And then you're on the other side of the fight. Oh, God, thank you for this woman you've given me. <laughs> it's Jekyll and Hyde. You know, the scripture says, he who, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. And so I want that to settle in. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. You will never know the joy if you don't stick it out to stay in relationship. I have a policy in my life that I believe is from God. You don't burn bridges. Now, sometimes bridges are burned from the other side, but as far as it depends on me, as the scripture says, as far as it depends on you, stay at peace with all men. I have an open door policy. If I have a fallout with somebody, God's heart is, re is redemption of that relationship. So as far as it depends on me, the door will always be ready to open for relationship. That means forgiveness, means walking through things, but we're not giving up. I do not give up on relationships. Sometimes they have to be put on pause because of what's been done for that sake of that person getting free or whatever so they're not hurting you know, other people or yourself. You know, you, that, I'm not talking about becoming a doormat for people, but with repentance, every relationship can be restored, and God wants that. Um, I didn't even go through my list. Let me go through my list real quick. Um, healthy family. What does it provide? Love. Everybody needs love. If you say you don't need love, you're a liar. We all need love. We do. You're born with the need to, to have love. You were born to be loved by God and by others. And when you don't get it, you're a broken person. That's a fact. I wanted to say that's a fact, Jack. So let me say it. That's a fact, Jack. If, you don't, if your love need is not being met, first of all, by God himself, you will be a broken person. But we need one another's love. We need it. Now, with God's love, we can overcome not getting it from other people. But we need one another. We need the family that God has created. So the first thing that family does is provide love a need that you need, that fellowship, that love, I'm accepted. Second thing, you're, it, it provides protection. You know that? If you separate yourself, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. If you separate yourself, you have actually removed yourself from the very protection that God has put in place to protect you. There are people taking all kinds of hits in all kinds of ways because they reject 
the structure that God has given for protection. Family, church family. Well, I, I, I don't want that because they hurt me. Yeah, my wife has hurt me. I've hurt her. That's part of learning how to love, learning how to forgive, learning how to lay aside my own selfish desires at times and to prefer others. That's part of the school of the Spirit, <laughs> to learn how to... Relationship is God's school. And if we can't get that right, we're not going to be ready for what's coming in eternity because this isn't the end. This is just the beginning. Relationships go forever. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, the Amalekites were a group of people and it talks about how they attacked Israel from the rear and they picked off the, str the stragglers, you know, the ones that were on the outside that weren't connected with the rest of the group. If you're not planted in a church body and connected with it, I'm not talking about even just sitting your butt in a seat on Sunday. I'm talking about connected with, that, with your, those believers, doing life together then you will be easy prey for the enemy. I, can't, I am so thankful that when the enemy's trying to kick my butt with things, I can call a group of people and say, man, I need prayer. I am struggling with this, 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 and this, and I need prayer. It's, life, it's a lifesaver. And I, I wouldn't have that if I, if I were not willing to risk the pain of relationship. Y'all hear me? Everybody with me? So there's protection. There's identity. There's comfort. You know, Scripture talks about comforting those with the very comfort that we have received. We're called to comfort one another. Security. There's a whole list of things that you could say that what family does. And, that you know, honestly, this is why the enemy is fighting against this so bad. This was God's original intent. And he fights against this. He tries to tell us that, you know, this is a male and this is a female. I mean, I'm off, I'm off subject a little bit, but not entirely. The enemy's fighting against this core right here. He's trying to destroy it. Because if he can destroy, if he can get these identities messed up, he'll get all their identities messed up. And they'll find themselves in rebellion against God. But what I, that really means is that the way you were designed to function, you won't function anymore. And it'll just be pain and suffering. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end of which is death. When we reject God's plan for the family, we all end up in death. Good word, Travis. Preach it. Sometimes you got to preach. You got to encourage yourself. All right, so let's, if you got your Bibles, you can turn over to um, 1 John 3.10. I love John. John, the Gospel of John, John's letters. His, he's my favorite of the disciples and his whole message is love, love, love. Love God and love each other. In First uh, John chapter 3, we're going to start at about verse 10. 
By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Okay, we're talking about God's children, his family. So those who are born of God, the children of God, this is, and those that are born of the devil, John's saying it's obvious to tell who they are. And then he tells us how. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. All right? So you don't practice righteousness, you're not of God. You can say you're, you know, you're a believer all day long, but the Bible says any man claims to be in Christ, let him walk as Christ himself walked. You can talk all day long that it's okay that you're in a, a you know, you're, you're, you're in a relationship outside of marriage. That is not okay. Or you're in an LGBTQ club. I'm sorry. You're not right with God. We know that from Scripture. Any man claims to be in Christ, let him walk as Christ himself walked. But the, as we... As we you know, as we quoted John thirteen thirty five, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is the proof, if you will, that you're growing up into the Lord. If you're not growing in love, you're really not being discipled by him. That's, that's the truth. I've seen lots of ministers walk in lots of power, do awesome things, but they hadn't learned to love yet. And I'm going to tell you, they were not abiding in the Lord. They weren't growing in God because if you're growing in God, you're growing in love. It doesn't mean you wake up overnight and all of a sudden you love everybody the way you're meant to, but you should be having steps day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. You should be growing in your ability to love not only those that are easy to love, but those people who are not easy to love because that's where the real love test is. How do you love the people that irritate the out of you? Huh? That's the real test. <laughs> Loving from a distance. Is that what you said? No, no, no. <laughs> no. We got to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Um, so love is the how we know. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. You know, you don't have to physically kill somebody to be of Cain and, sl and you're slaying your brother. You know, murder, Jesus said, if you've looked upon a woman to lust after in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. He said, if you hate your brother in your heart, you're guilty of murder. You know, we kill one another all the time by our backbiting and our slander and our just not loving the person. You don't have a right to be a Christian and not love people. And if you're doing that, you're either going to have God's loving discipline come on you, and you need that. We want it. I appreciate the discipline of the Lord. I need it. But if you buck against that... You're bucking against the thing that's calling you up upward, and you're wanting to stay down here on an earthly, carnal level. Uh, Cain, you know, you don't have to be killing people to be guilty of the sin of Cain. You kill them by your hatred. You kill them by your thoughts that you think about them. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You may not do the deed in the physical, but if you're thinking the thought, Jesus says you're guilty. Do you have anybody? I'm just going to ask this question. Is there anybody that pops up in your mind right now that you don't like? All right, we'll repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. You don't got to do it out loud, but you can. <laughs> yeah, see, that's, that's, 
yeah. Now, now it's okay. It's okay to not to like behavior, but when we reject the person, I am not want anything to do with you because your irritation in my life is not worth it to me. You're not valuable enough to me for me to fight for your for who God's called you to be. But see, when we begin to see one another the way God sees them, we would start fighting for them. Because, you know, it, and it goes on to say this. Uh, let, me get, let me keep reading this. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, there's another part in, um, in the book of 1 John. It says, um, where is it at? It says, um, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, but he that loves not does not know God, for God is love. If I say I love God, he's my Lord, my Savior, I say I love him, and I don't love the people he loves, do I really love him? If you say you really like me and you care about me, and you know how much I love my children, and yet you allow maybe their immaturity or their or to irritate you so that you don't, you don't want anything to do with them, do you really love me? How can I love somebody with all my heart and not love what they love? And those people that we are irritated with and don't like in our church services and in our meetings that we run into that somehow have to be the head and have to have all the ideas and if they don't have their ideas, those people are the very people that Christ Jesus died on the cross for because he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Those people are the people that God loves. And if we don't love them, then we don't love him. That's what this word says. If we don't love people, we can't love God. Because if we know God and God is love, and I've been transformed by his love, then I have to love those people that he wants to transform with his love as well. Does that make sense? It is imperative that church becomes more than a social party, but that when we come in here, we're rooting for the people sitting beside you. You're praying for them. When you have conflict, and conflict is going to come, it's meant to. That's part of God's training, that you don't let that drive you out. How many people have ran out of here because they didn't like something that somebody said? And almost all of them, and really probably all of them, fall into some kind of disaster. What I mean by that their life goes awry, awry. Because when you're offended and you have unforgiveness in your heart and you're running from relationship because relationships might cause you to have to change. I don't want to change. I want to be the way I am. So I'm not going to let iron sharpen iron. Scripture says iron is just as 
Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The people sitting next to you are God's tool for making you into his image. And if you run from that process, you're actually running from God's work in your life. Does that make sense? When you run from the conflicts, don't run from them. Run to them. Embrace them. Embrace it. It's painful. Yes, I know. But on the other side of that pain, there's a glory that you can't imagine. You see some of these war movies, and you see some of these veterans that talk about it, some of these people that they start off in boot camp with that they just hate. By the time boot camp's over and they go into war, like especially a lot of these World War II vets, and they talk about the bond that was built in their lives, it was because they were forced to learn to live together. The church is, cause, is here to cause you to learn how to live together in love. So don't reject the very thing that God has put in your life to actually transform you into his image. People are the tool that God has set in your life to cause you to be transformed in his image. And when we reject relationship, we're rejecting God and we're rejecting the process, right? So I'm committed to growing in my love for each of you. I don't love you like I should, but I'm not done. So don't worry, Josh, I'm going to keep working at it. <laughs> Let's determine that we're going to fight for love. We're going to fight to learn how to love one another. Amen? Lord, I am convinced that these are three pillars that if we will do them, we will see your glory come. I'm asking that you would accomplish this in our midst. Lord, we want your presence. We want to see that every time we meet together, Lord, you are in our midst. And Lord, when we're not, we are just, we just like a, a druggie that needs a fix. We're going to do whatever it takes to find your presence. And we're not going to let go. We're going to be like Jacob that wrestled with the angel until we get your presence. We get your blessing. And Lord, like Moses, unless you don't, if you know, Lord, don't send us up if you're not going with us. We want you in our midst. And Lord, we want to see every person that you send here equipped and trained for the calling that is on every member of the body. Every member of the body has a calling and a purpose that only they can do the way that you designed it to be done. And I'm asking for grace for us to equip your body. And Lord, I'm asking that for the grace that we would learn to love one another and that we actually would... would, would grow into the love that you've called us to have. As it says in Psalms 133, it talks about the blessing of unity and how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Lord, you said it's like precious oil that runs down the head and into the beard of Aaron and down to the robe. And Lord, you said right in that place, you would command a blessing. You would command a blessing where your people would dwell together in unity when we would learn to love one another that our love for one another would be more important than us getting our own way. And so, Lord, accomplish that here. Let's start with this little tiny 
church in Wilmington, Lord, and do something, Lord, like the Welsh revival, like the Azuzu revival. Lord, do something here where people begin to love you with all their heart and love one another as themselves. Do a work in our midst, Lord, that will blow us away and blow the world away, that the world would come streaming to your light, Lord God. Because, Lord, darkness is arising. Their deep darkness covers the people, Lord, but you promised us, Lord, that your glory would appear upon us and that nations would stream to your light, to the light that is on us. Lord, let your light shine in this place. Let it shine in the other churches in our city, God. Have your way in those other churches because they too are a part of your body. Teach us to love, Lord. Teach us to love. Thank you, Lord. We're committed to this with everything we're doing. That's why our services are a little different. You know, we have home groups that meet on Wednesday. I'll be honest with you, that's the backbone of the church. And that's our pastoral structure. If you're new here or, um, and you don't know that, our pastoral structure is the home group leaders. You know, it's the people that you can, in a smaller group, you can connect with and really do life together. You know, the early church met in the temple and from house to house. This is our temple meeting. Our home groups are house to house.